what we're really good at at Klarna is understanding that the creative is at the heart of what we do and being unusual and quirky and creating that emotional connection. That's all super important to us. When you are kind of that maniacal about that, it makes it easier than to convince the rest of the organization that that's the right thing to do. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, CMO of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest FinTech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Laurel Wolf, VP of Marketing and Women in FinTech Powerless for 2019. I wanted to make sure I got that in there as well. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great. So I will say another episode that we are recording in the midst of lockdown, and uh, we finally got a rainy day here in London. So I apologize if uh, if people can kind of hear that in the background. Um, so Laurel, do you want to give our audience just to kind of set the scene a little bit, a little bit of info about you? your background, another American expat here in London, and your journey to get to Klarna and what your role is there today. Yeah. So I am originally from Austin, Texas. I moved to London 13 or 14 years ago. Always been a little bit in like financial services, insurance, kind of that that field and tech. When I came here, I first got a job at Fujifilm in their printing and pre-press division doing their marketing, which was a very interesting gig. And then was there just for a little bit and then swiftly got into payments at a company called Verifone Payment Terminals. Uh, Verifone's an interesting brand because it's one you're using every day, but you you actually don't realize it until someone points it out to you. And then I was there for quite a long time and I decided I needed a change, something more exciting. Uh, and I saw Klarna and I thought, ah, oh, that's going to be fun to build their marketing business and their business in general in the UK to start. Um, the great thing about Klarna is it's a double-sided gig and that's what really appealed to me. The job is to, first of all, get your payment method into a merchant's checkout, but then you get to tell consumers all about it and get them to use it. So it was a a hugely interesting proposition to me and that's why I, I moved. Amazing. And so it's been about four years now for you at Klarna. Yes, indeed. And since I've been there, I've done lots of different things. Yes, I started the business and the, the marketing offering for the UK, but that was going well. So they asked me to do some other markets, including the Netherlands and then the US, which was a huge amount of work. And it is a uh, big priority market for us at Klarna. And then just recently, we launched in Australia, which I helped quite a lot to do. And that was a very successful launch. So a lot of different markets for us and, and help getting those started and stand up a marketing function there and then move on to the next one. Amazing. So your role is global now. It is, yeah. Great. So to kick us off, a question that we like to ask every guest, what is your favorite brand in financial services? And it can't be your own. Oh, and no. why is that? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I see lots of people doing like good and interesting things in the market. I see people maybe that need some brand direction, more of an ownership of their brand. I think what's also interesting is to track how people have changed, particularly the challenger banks. Like a lot of them have started your Revolut and Monzo's. They were kind of proud wearing it as a badge of courage and honor to not have to do marketing. I know there's there's a lot of statements like that in the field. I don't necessarily think those are the right things to say if, if you want to know the truth. It isn't 
it isn't something to be proud of to not invest in marketing. And then I think also people think very differently about what marketing is. I say, you know, if you're at a conference and you're speaking about your company, that's marketing. Yeah, maybe it doesn't have a cost associated with it, but it's still part of the craft of marketing. I think what's really interesting is how Starling has evolved their brand from where they started to where they are now. Very interesting kind of consumer awareness and segmentation. They've done obviously some research to see where where they have a place in the market and then have altered their marketing to fit that. I think that is really smart. They've, they've found their opportunity and have changed their marketing accordingly. Also, they're doing quite a lot of above the line campaigns, which I, I like, of course, and I think are great. I see people positioning their products quite interestingly, like Curve just recently. They already had it kind of that go back in time functionality to their product. They've extended the period now that they, they offer that go back in time product for. I think that's interesting being creative for example, with with how they talk about their products, I think pays big dividends. Habito, is it Habito or Habito? I say Habito. I think Habito. I should I should know. We've had Daniel, their uh, founder and CEO, on a on a couple podcasts. But yeah, I mean, their you know their stuff, at least from a creative standpoint, is just in a completely different realm it's, in a good way. Exactly. It's weird. A little bit bonkers. I think that's great. Obviously, I love that kind of thing. So I think it's that's quite good too. Yeah, it's interesting if you know we're in a in a little bit of a, a bubble in a good way in terms of fintech brands sitting here in London because we see them. Well, when we used to be able to take the tube, we'd see them in, in tube ads, and you know they're kind yeah. of everywhere. But there is such a spectrum between the ones that take more of the. Uh, you know, traditional makes it sound bad, but the kind of like above the line first, the brand centric, the creative driven approach, and then some others that maybe are a little bit more of like the bottom up, the data driven kind of product led mm. marketers, and then and then some out on the other side that are still kind of uh, like you said, figuring it out. What what you said about that theme or trend of fintech brands and probably in other industries as well saying that they don't do marketing i totally agree with that and actually posted something about it on linkedin a few weeks ago that stirred up a little bit of a debate because i like you said uh to me it depends on how you define it to me marketing is just anything that connects the product to the consumer so even if you have people that are thinking about what the consumer wants working with the product team but you're not doing any advertising, like capital A advertising, to me that still counts or speaking at a conference like you said. I think what they mean to say is that they weren't doing any traditional paid advertising. Yeah, they weren't doing a media buy. Exactly. But that's completely different, right? Owning a brand and having a direction for your brand will pay huge dividends because people are wanting an emotional connection with a brand before they make a decision to use it. So that that emotional connection and what it is eliciting and making you make a decision is what is super important. And you you need that marketing and that branding to do that. But yes, maybe they're not buying media and they're not spending a lot of money on media. Totally understandable. But there's still something to be said for crafting your brand correctly. For sure. So I'm I'm curious. I know we heard a little bit about your background already. You know, been lucky enough to talk to such a, a wide range of of really smart marketing people doing this podcast. And you have some that come through, let's say, non-traditional marketing background. Someone like Tristan at Monzo, right? That was in Egypt doing nonprofit work and then started early and did product and engineering and I think some other things. Your background, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about kind of the biggest influences for you as you learned marketing, having gone to school to study mm. it and then kind of like risen through the ranks in you know, real marketing, proper marketing departments and functions. What are some of the biggest influences on you 
and kind of like how you got to the perspective that you have on marketing and how you apply it to Klarna? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So yeah, I did go to um, advertising school, creative portfolio school at the University of Texas. So I met a lot of really amazing, creative fellow students, but also teachers that kind of instill in you. I mean, it's, it's creative school. So of course, they're, they're, they're telling you how important the creative is and the craft of creating and how to find creative connections anywhere and in anything. Uh, so that that was hugely um, useful and, and exciting. I, I still am amazed, actually, at school when I think back of like some of the people, some of the the student, the other students, you know, like what how creative they actually were, even when we were so young, and the kind of things that they would be willing and and, and risk doing. But this is this is a time when like Photoshop and InDesign and all the kind of software that you were using to make the ads was just kind of starting up. So there was a real mix of like, yeah, hand drawn skills and stuff were still valuable, but then also the layout was good. It's quite an interesting time when I was I was doing that. And then I really think it comes down to like the people you work with, honestly being inspirational and like believing in you and instilling in you, you know, the, the idea that you can do it and that you should be brave and kind of push the boat out with, with what you're creating and what you're working on and the projects that you have. From a payment standpoint and like a fintech standpoint, at Verifone, I, I learned everything I really know about payments. I mean, that's where it started because there were so many smart people who had been around the industry for such a long time. And then like just talking to them about stuff was like, Maybe not where I learned the marketing part, but definitely where I learned how exciting the industry can be and what in, what things are driving it forward and how you can get involved in really interesting stuff. Like projects I was involved in there were like a lot of contactless stuff. So rolling out contactless in the UK, contactless, particularly for the 2012 Olympics. Those were really exciting. And I thought, oh, wow, this is this is a cool industry to be in. Look at all the stuff that's going on. Cool. So So let's build on that and hear a little bit more from you on the strategy that you've developed and are deploying at Klarna for marketing. So how do you think about it? How do you kind of orient and structure your teams around it? What's the high level approach that you're taking in your role? Yeah. So when I, like, when I when I arrived at Klarna, obviously it's, the UK business was practically non-existent, and it was really about speed of execution. So the big motto is still is for me, maybe not as as much as it used to be, was get shit done. So as marketeers, we're artists, and there is something to be said for you know creating and deliverables and a passion for the craft that is, is super important. But it's also about like getting things out the door. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be done so that you can move on to the next thing. And particularly in, in the high growth fintech like Klarna, that is absolutely what needs to happen. So we definitely move at pace. And so that was a big part of my philosophy at, at the beginning. And so I am trying to get us to be more thoughtful in, in that way. It's, it's still valuable, but perhaps now we have a little bit more time to think, okay, how can we make this creative absolutely the best it can be? And so you work with, um, I think I saw somewhere, 72 and Sunny does does a lot of the creative work for you. Or what's the update on kind of what's in-house versus with agencies and, and who do you work with now? Yeah, it's a, it's a real big mix of outsourced ideas from agencies and then a lot of execution internally. So yes, we have worked with 72 and Sunny in the past, a variety of other agencies too. We work with one here in the UK called Forever Beta for a lot of our, our activity. So I think a lot of it is, let's get the start of the idea, the germ of the idea, work it up with the agency. And then we have quite a extensive in-house creative brand studio, we call it, 
that can then help us execute the ideas either for one market or across a variety of markets and help drive consistency with the branding. So it's a, it's a mix of both, to be honest, in-house and outsourced. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you structure things thinking about global. So your teams and then maybe also the approach that you take, you know, conversation that we've had with a couple other people and I think every marketer in a global role struggles with is the right balance between having things be kind of standardized and centralized and pushed out globally versus more nuanced and bottom up depending on the market. But how do you have teams in different places and agencies in different places? And then more in general, how do you think about that global local balance? Yeah, it's it's a hard one, actually. And I don't think you know, it, it, anywhere I've been, it's been been cracked as successfully as it as it can be. I think the idea, though, that a great idea can either come from some people internally or it can come from an external agency, I think is absolutely important to realize. Like the ideas can come from anywhere. You just have to be open to receiving them and seeing that they're they're interesting and valuable. We have particularly local PR and comms agencies in local markets. And I feel like that is really important because there are market nuances there, particularly if you're doing something like the corporate comms or the public affairs. Each one of our markets that we're in is is wildly different. I learned a lot when we launched Australia, for example, that's quite different setup than it is in the UK from that perspective, like corporate comms perspective. Some of the big creative campaigns we will do with one agency, like that Snoop campaign, for example, is with one, and then we kind of disseminate it out to the markets with a little local touch on it and then make it make it right for us. So yeah, I do have people in countries, in, internal, but I would say they're, they're doing kind of a, quite a big marketing generalist role, like their hands are on all sorts of different things to coordinate in the countries. Does that answer the question? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you said is right. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that there is like a right answer, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, that is out there that applies to everybody because everybody struggles with it. Um, and I think it's just about figuring out given the brand and the business, particularly for such a high growth company, you know, things are changing so quickly and I'm sure you're looking at new markets and you've introduced so many recently. You have to figure out with the state of the business, the people you have, uh, you know, what the brand stands for and its values, how you kind of navigate that. And then it's a constant calibration to try to find the right balance. I found for like specific topics, like creative can be created centrally and then tweaked for the regions. But like I mentioned about PR and comms, I have had in the past a central PR agency based in San Francisco, but then I was trying to get them to do things for us in London. It was just impossible. So I find that kind of thing when you're thinking about PR and comms, which has to be quick and execute very, very quickly, particularly if it's some sort of bad thing has happened, then that kind of setup doesn't work. So I, I haven't been a big proponent of those types of things. Yeah, that'd be, be a good one to uh, expand on when we talk about what else hasn't worked and what learnings you mm-hmm. have. I have to say, because our CEO, David Breer, would be upset with me if I didn't, we're very jealous of your partnership with Snoop and David has it on his bucket list to get him on the FinTech Insider podcast at some point. So just putting that out there, maybe we can pick up on it after our chat. <laughs> Sounds good. I know that he'd need me to say something <laughs> here. So so I'm curious, like, you know, you're clearly someone who has a respect for and an understanding of creativity and ideas and the impact that that can have, not just on the emotional connection for someone with a brand, but also on, on the bottom line of the business. How do you go about with this mix that you have of internal teams and external agencies that you work with, how do you go about cultivating 
an environment that fosters the right kind of and the right amount of those ideas? I think it comes back to like what we're really good at at Klarna is is understanding that the creative is at the heart of what we do and being unusual and quirky and creating that emotional connection. That's all super important to us. And when you are kind of that maniacal about that, it makes it easier than to convince the rest of the organization that that's the right thing to do. I'm not saying that when we first started thinking about smooth with three O's and the original, we had an ad about the fish that went down a slide and we were changing the branding, obviously from, from blue to pink, like convincing people internally is actually quite sometimes the harder job to say, actually, this is, yeah, it's weird, but this is the way, way to go because we're in an industry where as we always say in, in quite a lot of the things that we talk about, we're in an industry where all the logos are blue. Everyone uses blue. You know, they're all using stock photography of people shaking hands or happy families or something. We wanted to do something that was fundamentally different and unusual and made us stand out. Because even if you didn't like our branding, you have had a feeling about it. You've thought about it. And that's important. So I think convincing people internally yeah, was, was part of the, the hardest job in a way. But once you get over that and people see, yeah, there is a benefit to having this amazing creative and to, to pushing, pushing further with what you're doing and the imagery and the assets, then it all kind of falls together in a better way. People are like, yeah, I'm on board. Now we can put it out in the market and there isn't such a barrier to doing it. But we really value it, Klarna, like ideas. And yeah, not all the ideas come to you know, life. They don't become a campaign. We're not putting them out. But the idea of having the ideas and learning from the ideas is very valuable to us. Do you have any tips? Because I would imagine there's a lot of people listening that struggle with the same challenge, particularly for those riskier creative ideas, yeah. which sometimes can be the most successful. How you sell those through internally? Are you doing a lot of testing? Is there data to support it? Is it more just kind of a debate? Um, how do you approach that? So what what we did in the UK, we think a lot about communities and tribes. So you can't you can't win all of the UK, right? You can't win every consumer in the UK. And we have to start somewhere. So where we have done research for to inform our 2020 uh, advertising and marketing strategy is to identify tribes that we think would be most receptive to using Klarna at a retailer site. And then we are able to build interesting and kind of funky and fun campaigns around those tribes and those communities. And so that makes kind of what what we need to do easier. I have the research to say, actually, these are valuable segments to us, consumer segments that we want to target. And then it makes it easier for us to then say, okay, and we've built a campaign around winning that community. Here is what it looks like. So we do have that kind of data to back it up to say, actually, this is something we want to do. We know that we can find new loyal consumers and valuable consumers there, the campaign becomes easier. I think that's so important. I like to say that good good advertising is about being relevant. And in order to be relevant to people, you need to, you know, I think a lot of people get stuck, particularly with products or services and brands that can have a more mainstream appeal where, you know, I'm sure you've seen these briefs. It's like, yeah. you know, 18 to 45 year yeah. old uh, humans who live in urban. It's like you can't you can't be relevant. You by definition you can't be relevant to everybody. Or you you trade off yeah. relevancy for breadth, right? If you're trying to be relevant to everybody, then you're going to be less relevant to them. So I think that's super important to be able to really hone in on 
these are the people that we really want to connect with and be relevant with right now. And, and sure, that might expand, but in order to really break through, particularly in the in the media and advertising world of 2020, you need to put something out there that's going to really resonate with these people. Exactly. I have seen those types of briefs. But if, you, if you're trying to win everyone, you'll win no one because it's not, it's not relevant and exciting and interesting to a huge, huge swath of the population like that, right? You have to, that's why we, because we have a similar product. Anybody could use it, but it, it doesn't, it does us any, no good at all for us to say something, to make a campaign that's so generic that it appeals to absolutely no one at all. Um, so I think I do, I see that a lot. And I do actually see some of our fintech colleagues kind of making that same, same mistake. They're not segmenting in the right way and then doing multiple campaigns to different segments. It's just one size fits all. And unfortunately, it never fits anyone. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, so one thing that I wanted to ask you is, um, it seems from the outside that Klarna as a product and also as a brand, given the work you're doing, really is resonating with this, call it, you know, millennial mm-hmm. urban audience right now. Is that kind of by design? And how are you thinking about or are you thinking about expanding that audience? How does how does that factor into your marketing strategy for this year? Yeah. So I have always said that I don't consider our product to be a millennial product. It is for everyone. It's for anyone that values financial flexibility, convenience, and control. So you have to find those people and then develop the campaign to be interesting and relevant to them. Our average age user isn't as young as people think. It's 33. So that's still a millennial, but it's at the higher end of a millennial. I think some of this has come from, particularly in the UK, a lot of the merchants that we have, like our biggest client is ASOS. Imagine who the ASOS user is. It is a a millennial. So I think sometimes it's influenced by where people have seen the Klarna logo when it's out on a, a merchant's site. But we are signing lots of different kinds of merchants now, so all different sizes, and that will even affect our our, uh, typical user stats in a different way. So I don't really try and target millennials. I think by the nature of the product we offer, an online payment method, the biggest group of online shoppers is millennials. So I think they coincide in that way, but it's not for their exclusive use, no. Yep. So one other thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, I've seen out there in a lot of um, the Klarna marketing material, and and also I've actually heard it from a couple of people, but Klarna as an expression, as a verb, I'm guessing that was intentional, trying to push that out there and make it a thing. How is that going? Because I think probably a lot of businesses have tried that. Uh, What's the journey on verbifying the brand? I love it. It was one of my big goals, actually, when I came to the company, is that that was one of my mantras, is like, let's make this a verb. Klarna, we can use this. Uh, Let's see if we can get it into the the, the national lexicon to get people saying Klarna it. And it's successful to some extent. So that's great. Do you know that there was a birthday card or some sort of greetings card that had Klarna in, it's not paper chase. It's the, it's the other one. And so we were so excited because somebody was using that Klarna as a verb on this greeting card. I went in there and bought all of them. I was like, I can't believe it. Look, it's working. So yeah, it was a, it was a concerted effort. You never know if it's going to come to fruition, but in this case, it has has started to do that. Amazing. So so something else that I see out there and I've read out there about the Klarna brand is obviously you're doing a lot of above the line marketing. I'm sure you're doing a lot of below the line marketing as well, but you're also doing a lot of offline mm. and events. And and I saw some pieces out there that talked about the ambition for the brands 
being not just a kind of digital service and a digital connection, but also stepping into real world experiences and brand feelings, thing, you know, like kind of how Apple with the retail stores and, and how much focus they put on that. So how does events and that real world experience that people have with the brand, how does that factor into the marketing strategy? So we did it last year, but we did quite a lot, uh, several, not quite a lot, but I think three of them in the end, pop-ups in different cities where we were featuring our merchants in these pop-ups, but then also we were like the host. It was a, a Klarna, House of Klarna, for example, and we'd have 20, 25 merchants in there where, where they could be featured. So it was a way to help the retailers and the clients that we work with, but it was also a way for us to kind of have that physical touch point and it's, it's so hard when you're someone that's, um, you know, only in that digital realm, right, to get someone to really like get what you do, but also have that physical and emotional connection to it if they can't touch it and feel it. Uh, and that was our way to kind of connect with our community. And, uh, you know, it was also an opportunity to be able to kind of push our brand into other places and do different, different things with it. So like we recently, this seems like a long time ago, but you know what, it really wasn't London fashion week in February. We did something with one of our clients, Olivia Rubin. We sponsored this like townhouse with a nail salon. And this is when she was also doing, you know, her, her runway show. So it was a nice way to like collaborate with our retailer, but also bring Klarna to the high street. And I've always thought one of my one of my big dreams is what if we did open like a Klarna physical store, right? If we actually had a high street presence, that would be so exciting to me. So it's something I've I've been a proponent of and I thought would be really cool. We'll see if we ever get to do it. We'll we'll keep an eye out. Well, you made Klarna it a verb, so I think you could probably <laughs> you make that know. happen if you wanted to. But you know, Klarna is also available for offline purchases. So we do have some merchants where you can use Klarna to find like Halfords to finance a bike, for example, and that's in store or online. So we do have a, a physical in-store element to our product. It's perhaps not as widely known as the, the online version. But I always think I've been, you know, working with retailers a long time. And yeah, everyone's like, oh, the store is, you know, uh, people are closing the stores, department stores are dying. But there's something to be said. And we have the research to back it up that, you know, because shoppers just love to go into the store and have a great, interesting experience. They want more than just browsing clothes. They want to connect, really connect with that brand. And they get that with an in-store experience, right? There's so many different things that you can do. When I was in college, I was selling clothes at Urban Outfitters. And this is in Austin, of course. So we'd have a lot of live bands in the store. I always think of that even now. I'm like, that is an experience that you're having in the store that's drawing in people. And yeah, they'll buy the clothes, of course, but they're, they're, they're looking to Urban Outfitters to give them this cool thing. So something else that just popped to mind for me, probably leaning on how much you do with the fashion world is influencers. So so I'd be interested to get your perspective on it because I think it's such a, it's still something that's so new that I feel like even though we've been talking about it for years now, a lot of people haven't mm. figured it out or still don't know exactly where to put it. Um, I think in the fashion world, CPG, retail in general, probably a little bit more advanced than than maybe fintech. But I guess on two fronts, the, one is the more obvious kind of pay-to-play distribution side, so influencers as, as mm. a media buy. But then the other one that I'm curious if, if this factors into how you think about things is I think back to what we were talking about with good marketing is, is being relevant. Part of being relevant is understanding the culture of what's going on in the world around your audience. And particularly when it comes to fashion, 
I think the drivers of culture in the world of 2020, especially if you're looking at a millennial and maybe it's not all millennial, but let's say a, a younger audience that spends a lot of time online, the drivers of that culture are often not the things that we think. They're not the mainstream media outlets. They're not the mainstream celebrities. Oftentimes it is these influencers that maybe if you're not in that world, you haven't even heard of. So how do you think about influencers either as uh, an opportunity for distribution of your media and content or as influencers of the culture around your audience? Yeah, like the use of influencers has been important for us at Klarna. And I think it has helped a lot get traction in the market. And we we do use them for a variety of, of different things. Sometimes we use them in association with a merchant. So that's that's easier because in some cases, the influencer had already had a relationship with the, the retailer. So we're just working with them too. It's more of a collaboration. We also use them for educational aspects of the job, explaining our products. This is particularly in the big beginning when people had no concept of what, what we were doing or like the idea of like buying something and paying for it 30 days later is crazy. So we were using them a lot for that just to really explain how the product works. Now, now we still use them, but a lot of the influencers we're using are more about, we have this mindful money initiative to help people like better manage their finances and you know, spend responsibly. We use the influencers for that as well. And then we can tap into their audiences, the influencers audience to get the message across to a a wider group of people. But I think it actually comes back to the idea of the segmentation and the community and the tribes. Like that's where the influencers are extremely valuable because you're absolutely right that influencers are are well known in in a niche and you want to tap into that. And if you are trying to sell across different communities, then that, that's a great way to do that. It's, it's, in fact, better than doing a splashy media buy. You're going to get better reach using these influencers than doing something that's that's too broad and too generic. So what else has worked well in your experience at Klarna? Like, what are some of the wins you can point to or big kind of um, success stories that you can talk about? Yeah, like we've mentioned the pop-ups. I thought those went like amazingly well. And I encourage anyone that even if they have a digital presence, like the idea of having a touch point of some respect, even if it's open for a weekend or a week, I think is hugely valuable. And we got a ton of PR coverage off of that too. So it's not just, yes, we were connecting with the the consumer community and inviting them to, you know, engage with us, but we also got, got great and positive PR coverage for having those pop-ups. We do a lot of out of home. So I'm, we, we have had a, you know, quite a few campaigns. The most recent one was called uh, No Drama, Just Klarna. And we had merchant names in the ads. So I'll, I'll pay you in a few shoe, for example. So kind of uh, cute, fun, simple, just black and white ads like that. But there is something to be said still for traditional out of home, capturing eyeballs, capturing t- attention, getting that share of voice up. So yeah, the brand awareness has been hugely helped by those kind of large scale campaigns too. So I think you really have to kind of t- think about it as like a two-pronged attack. Yeah, there's some mass media that you need to do, but then you can do the communities and the niche stuff. And then you you can get both things to to marry up and work. And and what about the other side of the coin? Like I hinted at asking earlier, what what hasn't worked? What what lessons have you learned from things that haven't gone as well? Things I've learned really are I wish sometimes we had more time to plan because we're moving so quickly and the campaigns kind of come to life so, so, so fast. It's sometimes hard to add other things into it as quickly as you would, would like. If I had more time, I'd really like to do some really unusual kind of like special builds from an out of home standpoint. I think that'd be really fun to do. And like, kind of, I don't know, it'd be, it's, it's one of my goals, I suppose, uh, to do something like really crazy with an out of home placement. 
So I think there's that. The luxury of time is, of course, is, is nice, but you don't want to like not press print for ages. But that that is something that has, has been hard. I think also we could have done a better job explaining the differences between our products because Klarna just doesn't have one payment method. We have three different ones. And I think people often get confused between the three. So that was a big learning that we need to be more descriptive in what we're telling people about the products and like how they work. So that, that too, I think is, is something that I've learned. And then just listen to consumers. Like recently we started a consumer council. We invite the consumers around to the office. We have a, a chat with the shoppers, ones that have used Klarna a lot, ones that haven't used Klarna at all and listen to them, to be honest, and, and say like, what, what do you think? What should we do next? Where do you think we could add more value to you? So yeah, we're in this bit of a migration at Klarna right now from like smooth payments to smooth shopping. We want to, you know, offer more of the shopping ecosystem to our users so we can be more valuable to them. And to do that, we need to ask them what they want, what they need from us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's always good advice. And it's amazing how, particularly as companies grow and teams and business plans and all that stuff gets more complex that you can easily lose sight of. You just need to have a conversation with the people you're trying to reach and let them tell you what they're looking for. Um, so I, I think that's great. One other learning is don't overcomplicate things. I think sometimes your initial opinion or idea this in its simplest form is often the best. The idea of complexity, people often over-engineer where they want the campaign to go. And there's just something to be said for like simple easy to understand. That's the best. Totally agree. So what else is on the roadmap for you at Klarna? What are you excited mm -hmm. about? Sounds like you've got a lot of goals, whether that's a retail store or some super exciting out of home build. What else is on the roadmap for 2020? I think it's more products in more markets. You know, we have a card, a Klarna card in some of our markets. Um, so we'd want to bring that to, to others. We also offer in the US and in Australia, we offer an app. In our app, you can shop at any retailer. It's not limited to retailers where you only have an integration with Klarna and you see it in the checkout. So that will also come to new markets and then just new markets in general launching new countries where we currently aren't aren't in or we're only starting our business there so getting those off the ground are, are what is exciting there's a lot to be done <laughs> big plans big plans that's great so to wrap things up a couple quick questions for you so what are your sources of inspiration any ideas or suggestions for our audience where they can go to learn some things that you're passionate about oh yeah this one's tough actually because i get inspiration from all sorts of crazy places. Like I'm actually in some ways missing the morning commute because I see people and how they're dressed and how they, you know, what, what kind of things they're reading that kind of inspires me. So I, I miss that art, nature, books, TV. I get all of that kind of stuff from, you know, uh, that those kinds of media, but then also just people inspire me. I'm so I've actually been super inspired during this situation about how creative people have been to keep themselves busy, the content they've been producing. I know like TikTok has exploded over the, the past weeks with people doing that kind of content. And I think it's just really, it's inspiring, but it's also funny. Like they're making you laugh and doing interesting things. And I think that's, there's something to be said for that too. Love it. So last question, who else do you think we should get on the show? Yeah, I, 
I don't know if I, I'm not exactly sure who you've already had, um, but it's mostly marketeers from a company, a fintech. Correct. We did a roundtable uh, last week, I think it was, speaking specifically about how COVID has mm. impacted marketing. And so for that, we had someone from Sterling, but we also had someone from Yahoo Finance yeah. on the media side, and then someone from an ad agency as well. Yeah, that's that's more of what I was going to suggest yeah. to someone from either an agency or a PR agency. I have a friend, Dan Louther from CC Group. You, you've had him on the podcast, not this one, but the other ones before. The new show, yeah. Yeah. So someone that maybe is a little bit more neutral in their, and they maybe work with bunches of different clients. So maybe they see the market from a different kind of perspective. Obviously, I come with my Klarna glasses on, so I see it in that way, but they might have a, a completely different perspective. So I thought yeah. someone from that, or maybe someone from a consulting company, perhaps Accenture or McKinsey, you never know, that could be interesting. They're going to be very fact-driven, right? So they're going to come with a lot of stats. And I'm terrible because I can never remember the stats. I know I'm like, oh, I should know. I should remember these cool stats I've got. And they fly <laughs> out of my head and the first time we start talking. Well, uh, we'll look into that. I think the agency one could be interesting as well. Great. So that wraps up today's FinTech Marketing Podcast episode. Thank you so much to Laurel for joining me. Laurel, where can people find out more about you and Klarna? You can follow me on Twitter at London Laurel. Uh, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, or you can just visit the Klarna website, Klarna.com. Amazing. And thank you so much to everyone out there for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head over to 11FS.com to see how we're helping companies go truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode of the fintech marketing podcast and please i'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review share get the word out still season one of this so we're hoping that we can grow it going into season two and of course as always please let us know what you thought of today's show you can always find us on twitter or linkedin or email myself and the production team directly podcasts at 11fs.com we'll have more episodes for you coming out very soon thanks so much for listening and have a great day